The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, well, we just uh, coming off the biggest weekend of the year. I hope you guys had a great day. Uh, all I can say is if you're a chalk player, you probably weren't feeling really good after the last race on Saturday. Uh, there were some uh, really nice price horses there, but, you know, there's a reason why they call the Breeders' Cup the World's Championship, and that's exactly what it was. We had uh, shippers coming in from Europe. We had East Coast versus West. We had three-year-olds facing older horses for the first time. We had several horses that had only had a few races under their belt coming into these huge multi-million dollar races so anything can happen and it did both friday and saturday i'm not going to get into the details of the race because i've got two top handicappers uh, that are going to tell us about uh, their interpretation of the two-day event the first none other than jay privman who if you were watching tv uh you saw him cover the races um he uh, did the post-race interview after every race. He was right there on the scene. You know, Jay, one of the top writers, award-winning writer for the Daily Racing Forum, uh, was really on top of his subject. He did hit some really insightful interviews. So uh, Jay's going to tell us what it was like to be right there uh, for the action. Of course, they had beautiful weather out there. Uh, so uh, he, at least he wasn't uh, standing under any umbrellas. Then we're going to have our friend Tom Law, who got tied up at a handicapping seminar up at Saratoga, the famous place called the Parting Glass. And uh, so uh, he, he wanted a do-over. <laughs> Rich Ng stood, stood and did double duty last week and did a pretty good job. As did, I want to thank Dan Illman, too. Uh, both of those guys, uh, particular uh, Dan, uh, gave us his long shot play in the we, we didn't do every single race, but in the races he could. And uh, he came up with some price horses. So I want to thank those guys for uh, for pitching in last week. Looking forward to talking to Jay and Tom. And uh, maybe some of you guys pulled down some of those uh, long shots uh, with the easy win forms. Uh, since Breeders' Cup Day, uh, we, we've... Uh, had some big wins, uh, particularly just uh, uh, this afternoon at Gulfstream Park. Uh, a 50 cent pick five started out races one through five, paid $4,415. Been really killing them up at Woodbine, had a pick four that paid 3300 a pick three that paid 3173 and another uh, pick three on the same day that paid 3377 So uh, when all else in handicapping fails you, the best thing to do, uh, it's a relatively inexpensive, is come to winningponies.com and pull down those easy win forms. Well, uh, Jay Pridman wrote a really good article. Uh, saying, you know, that some Eclipse titles were cemented and others are up in the air after the Breeders' Cup. So I am not going to repeat his great story. We'll let uh, we'll let Jay break that live on the air. Now, the one race we will talk about, of course, is the 
Breeders' Cup Classic, grade one, $6 million on the line. And unless you live in a cave, you know that Gunrunner was an impressive winner. Well, it looks like he is going to go to stud, but not right away. He's going to go to the Pegasus and try to pull down one more big payday. And I'll tell you what, the way he looked last week, uh, he's already, I'm sure, instilled as as the favorite for that race. So uh, he is going to retire after the Pegasus. Uh, he's a son of Candy's Ride, who's very, very hot. And after that start, the $16 million grade one Pegasus, uh, he's going to uh, uh, go to Three Chimneys Farm. As a matter of fact, if you're in the area, he's available for inspection tomorrow uh, from 9 to 11 and one thirty to 3.30. Um, uh, before he's going to ship back to Asmussen, I believe, down at the fairgrounds to get ready for the Pegasus Stakes. So uh, he will be going to Three Chimneys, place where Seattle Slough finished out his uh, great career. And uh, right now, he has earnings of 8988000 record of 11 wins, three seconds, and two-thirds from 18 starts. So uh if you've got 70000 in your pocket, you'll be able to go down to three chimneys because that's what they have set his stud fee at. So uh, 70000 at three chimneys. Now, we do know of a, another Breeders' Cup horse that's going to be retired, and that is Battle of Midway, the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile winner. Bit of a surprise, 14 to 1. And uh, he was owned in partnership uh, with, uh, with Windstar Farm. He's going to be going to stud at Windstar in Versailles, Kentucky. And it looks like he's going to stand for $20,000. Uh, of course, Elliot Walden, the very happy, extremely proud of Battle of the Midway and the tremendous performance he put forth in the Breeders' Cup Mile. Just passing the fast horse, sharp Azteca, and in doing so, they recorded a very fast time. So uh, Elliot says that Battle of Midway just improved all year long, culminating in one of the most exciting Breeders' Cup races of the entire weekend. And uh, they say that uh, they will be supporting uh, him along with uh, partner Don Alberto. And they're going to be sending um, some of their top mares, of course. So many people say that milers make the best studs. So uh, Battle of Midway will be going to Versailles. Kentucky. So uh, a lot of things happen after the Breeders' Cup. Some of the bigger farms hold back their uh, stud announcement of their stud fees, I should say. So Lane's End has released the fees for uh, Candy Ride. Uh, He's the leading active sire in North America in 2017. Seven graded stakes winners better than $14.3 million. Um, Then also uh, Quality Road and Union Rags uh, are uh, going to be standing there. Union Rags is going to stand for $60,000. And um, let me scroll down here and see if we can't get to Claiborne. Uh, they waited till after, and uh, they announced uh, their fees. And uh, new face down there is Mastery, who is a candy ride. And uh, 
he is going to debut with a twenty-five thousand dollar fee in two thousand and eight. I'm sure everybody was that has a candy ride was happy when they saw Gunrunner cross the finish line. Uh, the other horses at Claiborne, uh, Algorithms seventy-five hundred, Blame twelve thousand five hundred, Datalink five thousand, First Samurai fifteen thousand, Ironicus is at five, Leah seventy-five hundred, Orb who's having a really good season at twenty-five thousand, and it'll be interesting to see the foals of Run Happy. He's going to stand for twenty-five thousand. And trap shot seven thousand five hundred. Now Arrogate, who did not hit the board in the classic, is going to start his stud fee at seventy-five thousand dollars, and he will be going to Judmont Farms in Lexington. Of course, he's one of the last great unbridled songs. They say his book is going to be restricted to 142 mares. <laughs> I don't know if that's restricting too much. Uh, I think the boy will have uh, uh, plenty of uh, exercise with that, but Arrogate's Fee is among the highest advertised debut prices for a North American first-year stallion in recent years. Of course, American Pharaoh was announced at, uh, at $200,000. Um, and I believe right now they just call his fee private, so we'll find out, though. Uh, his horses have been selling well at the, the uh, sales. And then uh, also uh, uh, Practical Jokes uh, being retired to Coolmore's Ashford Stud, uh, and uh, along with Cupid, who will command $12,500. So uh, we're setting it up to find out uh, where to go to get your stallions and what they're going to cost. Uh Breeders' Cup winner John Velasquez, Jockey of the Week. He's won more Breeders' Cup races than any jockey last week, including the Breeders' Cup distaff. His way to being voted Jockey of the Week. So congratulations to Johnny V. He put in some great rides. And this one was a bit of a surprise uh, that I found out today. And uh, that is that uh, Southern California jockey Martin Garcia uh, is moving to Aqueduct. Uh, as you know, he's uh, been a, a mainstay uh, with the, the Bob Baffert barn, and uh, he uh, is going to be moving uh, to New York. Of course, he's very, very talented, but a lot of times he gets the horses ready, and uh, another rider uh, will, will come in and actually get the, the top ride but he always did like the final workouts for uh, for some of the, uh, the the big horses including american pharaoh so uh good luck to martin um in new york well i hope you've been watching the sales boards they've just been unbelievable uh i've watched the video of songbird uh, you, you couldn't find a seat in the phasic tipton pavilion S she sold for 9.5 million unbelievable and uh at for eight million teppin went so uh it was uh, quite exciting and all day long my um phone's been popping up with so many horses uh that at this phasic tipton sale eight horses sold for two million or more so uh, again songbird and teppin uh went through the ring with only six horses uh, be between each other, and uh, it was just unbelievable. Of course, uh, Arv de Grasse uh, has the record price for a broodmare prospect at $10 million, but 9.5 is not too shabby at all. So uh, we were looking forward to that. That was a really exclusive, exclusive sale. And uh, 
then the action kind of moved over to uh, to Keeneland, where they've just been killing it at Keeneland, too. Let's take a look there, there at some of those top prices. Um, let's see. The top five mares were uh, Songbird at 9.5, Teppan at 8, and then at 3.6 million, Quadura. She's a racing or broodmare prospect at 3 million, nickname. Um, and then uh, the champion, Catch a Glimpse went for three million. The top wheelings at a million was an American Pharaoh. Then there was a street sense. Uh, a Philly by Magdalia Dioro went for 650,000. Another American Pharaoh, 525,000. And Curlin, who had a very good Breeders' Cup day, uh, one of his wheelings went for 420,000. Now, in Keelan Book One, I believe that was where Lady Eli was going to go, but uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later. She got pretty well cut up uh, in in her race, and they decided to, to pull her from from the sale. Uh, this was the first time she ever finished off the board, but it was she very roughly run. Uh, she got lacerations, and I guess her connections just didn't want to take chances of you know pulling her in, in and out of the stall, showing her off to people with her cuts on her. So we'll find out to, if they're going to breed her and resell her at another sale or whatever. But uh, champion Stellar Wind. Uh, brought six million dollars at the uh, Keelan November sale. Uh, book one was uh, just uh, th- through the roof, absolutely. Um, I believe she went to a uh, Coolmore Farm, and um, uh, just like I said, I got the alert on my phone, and they were just popping all over. Now behind Stellar Wind was Catherine Sophia, an infold pioneer of the Nile. She went for two point three million. And then for royalty, infold Bernardini went for two point one million. And then uh, at two million was Enchanted Rock, in full to more than ready. And then Oscar Party in full to Tappet, and of course Tappet continues uh, to have uh, unbelievable success at the sales, and why not? It's been proven out on the track. And let's see, that was their mares, and now the top brood mares prospects. We just got those forever, and you'll have to excuse me. My computer got knocked off the desk today, and it's been kind of playing games with me. Okay, uh, the, the wheelings in that sale for $1 million, it was a, a Curlin at 775000 It was a Tappet, another Tappet for 675000 an American Pharaoh for half a million, and a Spitztown for half a million. So anyhow, you can find out all the results at Fazek Tipton and at Keeneland to see which horses were hitting the home runs, but they continue to be hitting the home runs. And I hit a home run by landing Jay Privman to come back on Winning Ponies with us. Uh, he was the man that was right there in front of all the action. We're going to be asking him about what he saw, what perhaps on camera. We're going to take a little bit of a break. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? 
you can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me, once again, one of the main men with the daily racing form. And uh, as good as he is at writing, he is at, at hosting television shows. Jay Privman, how are you? Look great over the weekend. Good, John. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a fun weekend of, of racing at Del Mar and really enjoyed it. And good to be with you as always. Well, and you know, you no holding umbrellas over your head or anything like that. It looked like it was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, no, it was. It was a beautiful fall day at Del Mar, and the kind of weather we that, that why we uh, why we like living out here this time of year. <laughs> can't can't blame you at all. Well, um, I, I, I've done live television. Uh, you know, if you can get relaxed at it, it's good. But the one thing about live television, especially when you're on air as much as you were, are some of the things that can happen. Uh, First of all, let me tell you, your interviews were fantastic because so many interviewees have kind of a cookie-cutter formula that they work from. But you seem to weave in kind of a different angle and talk to a different uh, you know, person uh, in different orders throughout the whole day. Uh, has that style just become natural to you, or, or was there something that happened in the race or something that you knew about the person that you wanted to, to get to right away? I mean, it really depended on the situation, John. You're talking about the post-race interviews in the winter circle, right? Yes, I am. Yeah. I mean, it really depended on the situation. I mean, you know, when, when, when Peter Miller won both of those races, the owner was the same guy, and it's somebody who's, you know, I, I know from professionally. I don't know him personally, but I know him professionally from just him being on the circuit. I knew a little bit about him, so I knew, I know he likes to bet, so that's why I asked him, you know, if he had bet the exact in the turf <laughs> sprint, and you know, and then he joked towards the end of that interview that he was, I asked him if he was going to, you know, what he thought of Roy H's chances, and he said he was going to leave, so obviously when Roy H won, the obvious question was, well, it looks like he didn't leave, and he made a joke about how he went to get his car, and he couldn't get it out of there, so it was just, it, it, yeah. it was just sort of following up on the on the theme but a lot of the interviewing i like to think comes from just my training as a journalist and just 
hopefully knowing what are the smart questions and, and the questions to ask just from having done this on a daily basis as a reporter for all these years. And I think that helps in that environment, uh, not only maybe asking the right question, but also it's really important to listen to what people are saying because there might be something that's worth following up on. You know, and it happened with the Bromans when, you know, he, um, Mrs. Broman made a comment about how she was happy for her husband, and then she paused and said, and for me too. You know, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great moment. That, that is true, Jay. A lot of times you'll see uh, people that aren't as polished. You can almost see that they're waiting for the answer to get done because they've already rehearsed their next question. And I think it's very important to be listening to the person just so you can perhaps take a side angle or you know approach it from a different way. That, that's an excellent comment. Uh, and I hope anybody that's listening that decides to go into this business takes that advice. Listen to the person who's talking to you. Now, with, with as much uh, time as you spent there, you know, doing the, the live television, um, did you get thrown any curves during the two days? I mean, there's always going to be curveballs that come your way. I mean, one of the post-race things that was a curveball was just after the turf, I had asked one, I had introduced the guy who was presenting the the trophy in the, from Longines, and then Joe Osborne was there to present or to accept on behalf of Godolphin, and I had a couple questions to ask him, but the, you know, we were getting close to the top of the hour, and it was time to move on to the NBC show, and I had a producer in my ear saying, go ahead and wrap it up. And you just have to try and smoothly get out of that. Um, you know, that was a minor thing. And then there were just, just races where I was... One thing that we do, one thing that the NBC people do that I just love is we tr- they try and pick out you know, two or three prominent trainers for each race who look like they have horses with big chances. And we have a reporter stationed with, with each one of them. And if one of them wins... You know, we've got somebody there right away to interview them, and it looks like you know we've got somebody everywhere, but it's just kind of sort of handicapping. So that's why, for instance, when World Approval won, you know, I was they had had me. They said just follow Mark Cassie when he leaves the paddock or doesn't leave the paddock, just stick with him. You know, if he wins, that's your interview, and he won. But there was another race when uh, when Chad Brown ran Lady Eli. I was assigned to Chad Brown, and you never saw me after that race because Lady Eli didn't win. Can we move on to whatever the story is? Um, so the, there's just sort of those things that go on behind the scenes, but it pays off when the person who, either myself or Kenny Rice or Brittany Erton or Nick Locke, whoever is assigned to, if that trainer wins, you know, we get that great raw emotion interview right away. Um, and that's just a part of just great planning by the producers of our shows. Uh, they, they they did a good job handicapping, no doubt about it. Well, um, we're going to probably work our way up to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, you know, that is the marquee race. And, um, you know, I, I announced earlier that people need to go and read your story about some Eclipse titles cemented and other ones up in the air in the Breeders' Cup aftermath. But you just brought up a name that um, I – 
tried calling Joe Neville's earlier, and I didn't get a hold of him. And that's Lady Eli, who was going to be sent into the Keeneland race and taken out of it. I mean, what an unbelievable uh, treat it's been to watch her race over the years. I think if you add up her defeats, they might equal a length uh, until this race. And then come to find out, we see she was bottled up tight, but didn't realize that she had suffered some uh, pr- pretty decent lacerations during the running of the race. Yeah, I mean that was, and that was a story that we ended up following up on. You know, Chad Brown was good about updating us on what had happened to Lady Eli in terms of not only getting cut on a, on her hind leg, but also that a shoe had gotten torn off during that uh, incident. And that's just something that you know we fortunately had time to follow up on because that race was so early on the card that when he had runners in later. Um, I saw him before the turf race when he had Beach Patrol uh, and Fanciful Angel. And I talked to him just off camera after he had saddled his horses, and he gave me the update on her. And then when they came to me to do a, I was assigned to do a report on Chad Brown, and I just incorporated that into my report. And that's just part of having producers who trust you, having people on the show who you know the sport and, and work on it regularly, and, you know, it, it pays off by being able to just kind of follow up a story. I, I hate when I watch a show and something like that happens, and then two hours go by and nobody ever updates you on the condition of the horse or what happened. I, it makes me crazy. <laughs> and when I'm ever in a position to, to follow up on something like that, I, I like to do it, because I know as a viewer it, it drives me nuts, and I assume that there's viewers at home who probably were... Wondering, well, you know, what the heck happened to Lady Eli? And fortunately, we were able to get, it was more than just, oh, she didn't run a race. You know, we found out that there was a legitimate excuse for why she didn't run a race. Um, well, let's uh, bring, I'm going to bring up another headliner, but it happened on Friday, and, and it happened in the Longines Breeders' Cup distaff. I mean, what an amazing training job by Dallas Stewart to get forever unbridled up to win this deep, deep group. I know it was one of the shorter fields of the day, but my God, they were such a talented group. Uh, you know, you had the uh, Kentucky Oaks winner in there representing the three-year-olds. You had a uh, uh, champion stellar wind. You had a late who looked like she's just been sitting on the top of her game uh, since she barely got beat in the Coaching Club American Oaks at Saratoga. I mean, hats off to Dallas, Dallas Stewart and forever unbridled. Yeah, it was a great training job. He did circled that race as being the goal all year, and they worked backwards from that. Uh, and, you know, going back to a year ago, I, I said this on another show, I mean, I, I, I thought her third-place effort in the distaff at Santa Anita in 2016 was one of the most underappreciated efforts of that Breeders' Cup because everybody was rightly focused on that great duel between Beholder and Songbird, but Forever Unbridled was not far away. She was beaten less than two lengths in that race. Yes. And they kept her in training and pointed for this year's Breeders' Cup, and she had the two wins prior, and they gave her the time. She likes the time between races. They gave her the time to train her into it, and as you said, Dallas did just a great job training her for this race, and she delivered. 
Well, while we're, while we're on while we're on this subject, there was a little bit of I don't know I guess kind of a controversy in that race. Joel Rosario has been doing a great job riding her, won both races this year, and he got to sit in the jockey's room and collect one hundred and twenty thousand dollars while Johnny V rode. Yeah, that was just a strange situation. It was the day of uh, entries on the the Monday of uh, a week ago of Breeders' Cup. Um, so ten days ago, the day that entries were taken. Um, the owner told the trainer that he wanted to make a change to John Velasquez. And, you know, Rosario had the call, understandably so. <laughs> like you say, he won both times on the horse. It was just a very strange situation. And uh, so they, they put Velasquez on the horse, but the students ruled, and I think correctly, that because Rosario found out at such a late hour, he had no chance to get another mount, uh, he had a call on the horse, and so they made the owner of Forever Unbridled, Charles Sipke, pay a double jock mount. So Rosario got paid the same amount as John Velasquez for for sitting in the room. Um, I'm sure he would have much rather been out there competing and winning the race. And yes. It's an unfortunate situation, but that's what the owner wanted to do, and he, you know, that was the price he was going to have to pay to do it. Well, uh, it w- will make uh, for uh, interesting conversation for a while, but did make for one of those mysterious storylines uh, in in the uh, in the race itself. And Mr. Fipke himself wasn't crystal clear on why he did make the change. Well, um, I don't know. I don't want to make sure that that time doesn't get away from us. We still got plenty to talk about, plenty of angles. But let's uh, focus on the six million dollar Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, you know, everybody was saying if Arrogate has his day, he will have his way. Um, you know, uh, Gunrunner, you know, has he, has he beaten the best? Are there question marks? I didn't think so. I mean, I wasn't worried about that because I watched all those races and saw how impressive he was. Of course, uh, running uh, second to uh, Arrow Gates, no disgrace in the Dubai World Cup. And then, of course, uh, West Coast, uh, a three-year-old who's just absolutely rounded into its uh, best form. And, of course, you got Baffert. He's going to win a bunch of Breeder Cup races, right? And then, you know, Collected, uh, who just put in a top effort over Arrowgate in the Pacific Classic, and uh, Gunrunner just left him in his dust. Yeah, no, he ran a, he ran a sensational race, because the inside was not really the best place to be both days, and that's where he ended up obviously more, he was a little bit off the rail, but he was still closer to the rail than Collected was, and he set very fast fractions, and he kept going. And he earned, he earned the win. It was a deserved win. Uh, I, I think the people connected with Gunrunner, from Steve Askinson to his assistant, Scott Blasey, to all the people who are associated with the horse, donors, the exercise rider, groom, and they made a great commitment to have this happen because after Gunrunner won the Woodward, the second of the two races that he won at Saratoga, he went to Churchill Downs and trained for a couple of weeks, and then they sent him out to California. You know, more than a month in advance of the classic, uh, and Blasi and uh, Angel Garcia, the exercise rider, and the groom, the hot walker, they were all out here for over a month with one goal in mind to, to win the classic. And Gunrunner had several works at Santa Anita. He had one final work at Del Mar the week of the race. Uh, he had trained just fantastically out here. You could just tell he was doing really, really well. And he delivered. And here's a horse. I mean, he deserves to be horse of the year. His only loss was in the World Cup to Arrogate. Now he's 
even that score with Arrogate. But more importantly, he had a better overall year. He came back from Dubai, and he won four straight grade one races. Uh, Arrogate never won again. I mean, Arrogate has not won a race since March. Uh, so Gunrunner deserves it. I mean, he, he ran more times. He won more races. He, he won at different venues, Churchill Downs, Oakland, Saratoga, and Del Mar. That's a horse of the year. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jay. Um, Arrogate, and ending the season as, on such a kind of head-scratching uh, uh, skein of races. Uh, have you had a chance to talk to Bob Baffert or know somebody that has? Well, sure. I mean, I've you know, talked to him a lot leading up to the race and, and, and then afterwards. And it's, it's just a situation where so Arrogate was never – he never performed like he did in those that run of four races uh, between, with the Travers, the Breeders' Cup Classic, Pegasus, and Dubai. He never reached that level again after he got back to Dubai. And the thing that we're never going to know is if those races just sort of cooked him and maybe the, the Dubai World Cup, which was such a remarkable performance, if that just, if that just maybe knocked him out. Or was it just that he didn't like Delmar? Because unfortunately... The only three times he ran after he got back from Dubai were at Del Mar, and it was because of the, the Breeders' Cup being here. He had to obviously run in the Classic here, and the best way to prepare for the Classic was going to be to run at Del Mar in a race like the Pacific Classic, which he almost won, even though to me it looked like he kind of tolerated the track as opposed to liking it. But whereas Collected, for instance, just loved this track, trained better than any horse here, during the summer meet, and, and then beat Arrogate in the Classic, and then came back and uh, beat Arrogate in the Pacific Classic, I should say, and then came back and, and almost won the Pacific, the uh, the Breeders' Cup Classic. He, he made Gunrunner earn it, and uh, I just I just don't know. I mean, I'm I just I'll, we're never going to know if I feel hypothetically, let's say the Breeders' Cup was at Churchill Downs this year, would Arrogate have come back to his best form because he was not at Del Mar, or would he have just not come back to that form because he wasn't the same horse? I, I don't know, and I don't know that, you know, we, we obviously will never know. Um, Jay, do we know that had Arrogate become him, him, his former self and maybe blown this field out, were they making any plans to maybe go to the Pegasus before they retired him to stud? No, that was already announced, and we had already reported that this was going to be his last race, no matter what. Okay, I, I, I see where a lot of the Kentucky farms were kind of sat back to set some of their fees uh, because they wanted to see, you know, how their uh, their stallions' offsprings performed. I notice Arrogate's going to stand for, I believe, seventy thousand. I think if he wins this race, he probably stands for a hundred. Uh, but I also know that m- most people associated uh, with a candy ride stallion uh, kind of maybe boosting uh, their stock up a, a, a little bit. And how can you blame them? I mean, Candy Ride's had a, a great ride over the last couple of years, but now, you know, with a poster boy like Gunrunner, uh, it's certainly going to influence the breeding game. And another horse that I uh, can't uh, help but uh, mention is uh, Curlin. Uh, I believe he had a race on the card where his horses ran 1-2. Right, that was the Juvenile uh, with Good Magic and Solomini. Uh, they ran one two, and Good Magic was only his third start. And it, it, 
was his first win. He'd run well in the Champagne, but he hadn't he hadn't won yet. He'd run well in both of his races, but the Champagne, particularly his second start, uh, ran well enough that even though he had not won, he deserved a, a try in the Juvenile, and he then he beat that field pretty handily. And it was a nice, like you say, it was a nice exacta for Curlin with Solomini running second and Barbara Banky, who's Stone Street Stable owns Curlin at Stud. Uh, she's a co-owner of Good Magic, so that was a just a tremendous result for her. Absolutely, and you know, it was a, a million-dollar baby, and, and you know how many times you've seen million-dollar horses that perhaps never even ran in a race, uh, but to see a million-dollar horse come back and, and, and win at this level, uh, it brings us back to Friday. Um, so, uh, you know, we're in the uh, Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, uh, you know, this uh, Mendelssohn, who I believe is a half-brother to both Beholder and Into Mischief, sold for $3 million, and at least he got a good chunk of that back and probably, you know, set himself up for a decent career uh, as a stud, and it'll be interesting to see uh, if he returns to the U.S. and tries to uh, take horses on on the dirt on the first Saturday in May. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the real interesting uh, aspects coming out of that race was at the post-race press conference, the people who are connected with Mendelssohn saying that that's something that they have on their radar is to, is to give him a chance to perhaps come back here and run uh, in, the, uh, in, in the Kentucky Derby. Uh, he's by Scat Daddy, so he's, he's bred to do well on grass for sure, uh, but you know, Scat Daddies can run on dirt as well. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they uh, perhaps send them to Dubai, uh, maybe to run on dirt there as a prep for to come on over for the uh, for the Derby, or if he just has one grass prep in uh, in the in Ireland or or uh, Britain and then comes over. Uh, so many months to figure that out, but that outfit's pretty good at figuring it out. It's, they've had a heck of a year. <laughs> yes, they are. Well. Uh, Jay, uh, did you get a chance to kind of kick back and uh, and uh, uh, take take a break now, or does uh, the the racing form put you right back to, to full full tilt boogie? No, I'm uh, since Delmar is uh, in my backyard. I I cover this fall meeting that's going to be going on through the end of the of the month through the Thanksgiving weekend. So uh i'll be uh, i was back at it this morning at the track and i'll be at the races tomorrow when they start racing again and but it's it's fine it's 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 a home game it's convenient i love being out there so i'll work the next few weeks and then i'll get a little break in the beginning of december well, we love reading your columns and uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, watching uh, you on television during the Breeders' Cup broadcast. And once again, Jay Pribman from the Daily Racing Forum, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on Winning Ponies. No, thank you, John, for having me on again. All right. What a pleasure. What a great guy. I love his insightful comments. And another great guy who uh, certainly knows how to talk horses is none other than Tom Law. And uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break and we come back. This is Horse Racing on Winning Ponies. Tom Law will be with us. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? 
can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me from now, this is horse racing, none other than Tom Law. Tom, who uh, viewed the races from uh, beautiful Saratoga. I'm sure the uh, the fall foliage is probably uh, just past full bloom about now, huh, Tom? Uh, it is. Actually, I uh, bagged up quite a bit of it uh, this week. Uh, we're expecting uh, some really cold weather up here uh, this weekend and next week, so I kind of had to prepare myself for winter. So uh, there still is, there still are some, some trees with some nice colorful leaves on them, but uh, for the most part, a lot of them are on the ground up here. All right. Well, it's just such a beautiful place pretty much any time of year, even after the snow falls. I love it. But, uh, Tom, I know you were, uh, you know, giving out your picks at the legendary parting glass uh, a week ago at this time. I'm sure you, you had a good time. What kind of characters show up uh, at Saratoga during the off season? Uh, this, this time of year, you know, the people, the locals are, you know, it's a pretty savvy uh, racing crowd. Everybody's you know, keeps up on the races that go on all over the country and particular in New York, uh, for obvious reasons, but, uh, they get a good, good collection of people at the parting glass for, uh, for the handicapping seminar. Me and another guy kind of hosted it and we kind of go back and forth and give our picks and, and, uh, you know, have a beer while we're doing it. It's, 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 it's entertaining. I wish we had, uh, to show some replays and maybe add, a character or two get Andy Serling or something come up here and, and entertain the crowd but I guess then uh, the other the other me and the other guy would be kind of irrelevant if, if, if little Andy was there running the show but uh, <laughs> no, it's just, he'd, he'd just, make uh, you irrelevant <laughs> yeah he would he's great though but I, I, he's entertaining to me oh I'm trying to think does, doesn't uh, Dave Lipkin live up there now he does yeah and um, a lot of people that are it's funny a lot of people involved in racing past or present kind of make their their homes in saratoga all year round um tom durkin of course the you know legendary track announcer he lives in saratoga for pretty much most of the year i think he kind of jets out of here in the winter time when it gets really cold uh you mentioned dave litfin there's some other guys um that used to work for the new york racing association 
publicity people, Glenn Mathis and, and Fran LaBelle, they both live here in Saratoga, and I see them quite often. Joan Lawrence, who's involved in the uh, NPRA, she lives yeah. uh, in Saratoga. Um, I so didn't quite a know few that. I thought she was in New York. I mean, you know, New York City. Yeah, she was in New York City for a long time, and then she decided she wanted to, to move upstate and have a little bit uh, a little bit quieter life. So uh, well, can't beat it. Yeah, uh, and I also think the the famous photographer uh, Barbara Livingston lives up there. She does. Yeah, absolutely. She um, she makes her home here. I, she's on the road quite a bit. I know she was obviously at the Breeders' Cup. And she spent a lot of time in in California this fall, but she'll be around from from time to time. And um, the track, uh, the Oklahoma track, stays open from uh, mid April to mid November. It's actually getting ready to close up here in the next. Oh, I'd say it's six days. It's usually the 15th of November when it closes shop. So uh, a lot of the, all the big stables are pretty much gone now. Um, Bill Mott, Chad Brown, Todd Pletcher, George Weaver, uh, Christoph Clement, you know, guys like that, that keep horses up here, you know, pretty much uh, all year round with the exception of the winter months. Uh, they're already gone. So it's, uh, it's pretty sparse over there now. Like I said, all the leaves are kind of off the trees. There's a lot of tumbleweeds blowing and stuff over there. It's kind of sad at the end of the season, but, uh, you know, it's uh, every good thing has to come to an end, I suppose. It does, it does, but nonetheless, still a beautiful place. Well, uh, l- let's get to uh, some of the races. Obviously, we're going to finish up on the Classic. Um, were there a couple races that kind of caught your eye, either because you really liked the horse in there or because you were totally shocked and surprised at the outcome <laughs> well i mean it's easy for me to say this uh because it's, it's after the fact but uh I did, we did do our picks uh on, and this is horse racing the clancy's and myself and a couple other handicappers and uh i actually started out on fire i loved uh i really liked uh, chad brown's philly rushing fall in the juvenile phillies turf uh starting out the breeders cup on friday I saw her at Keeneland. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time at Keeneland. I think I missed only the last four days of the meet uh, when I was down there in Lexington. Ironically, I did not even run into you when I was down there the whole time. I was kind of disappointed about that, but uh, I didn't need any sunscreen like I usually do from you. But um, <laughs> I still got I did, it in my actually, bag. Don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> but uh, I loved her, and, uh, and, and then in the very next race after that, I, I really was uh, – really high on battle of midway as well i just i really, really? was impressed by yeah i like this derby um i know a lot of people kind of poo-pooed the derby and and had a a lot of negative things to say about always dreaming who obviously hasn't gone on to to do that many great things since the derby but uh, i like the fact that he was right up on the pace pretty close and he was still kind of there battling at the end he was really the only the only horse that was sticking around at the end that was up there on the pace with the exception of the winner who obviously relished the, the sloppy track. And, um, I was hoping battle midway would be a kind of a horse that they might want to bring to the Travers. Uh, Jerry Hollendorfer, of course, likes to ship. Uh, he's not afraid to ship to the East coast and they ran him in the Haskell and he just kind of ran bad. I think he got cooked in that speed duel in there. And I liked his, 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 his next two races coming into the, to the dirt mile. And I just thought he was, he would, he would set up for that race. That race is kind of a funny race. It seems like you have horses that they're trying to squeeze into their horse, like practical joke that maybe is better going one turn. And then you have kind of older horses that are maybe tailing off or just kind of try, they're trying to find a spot to stay away from the classic, you know, horse like more spirit or, or Cupid horses like that, that, 
that don't quite fit, like sharp, sharp Azteca, he's more of a sprinter, he's going to have to go two turns. I just thought Battle Midway is going to be perfect for a mile, uh, the two-turn mile. I thought the post might hurt him, but, you know, I liked him in there, and, and he won, obviously. So, um, you know, I heard you talking with Jay about the other races, and the the distaff, of course, was great. I thought uh, Forever Umbrella was just lights out in there. And, and uh, I remember seeing her in the summer at in the personal anthem up here, and she was just, she, she's awesome. I mean, the fact that she just barely got beat in that great duel last year between Beholder and Songbird, you know, really made her sort of stand out among the older horses. She didn't run very much this year, so she's kind of off the radar. But she's just a class, you know, old-class mare. And I know that uh, Chuck Fifty bred her, and it's kind of a cool story. He's he's a guy that, you know, he really is enthusiastic about his horses, and he, he breeds very, very nice racehorses. So... You know, that was Friday. It was strong on Friday. And then uh, I had a bit of an up and down, as a handicapper, I had a bit of an up and down day on Saturday. I, I was like, man, I felt good about Friday. I'm going to go into Saturday. I'm going to come guns blazing. And, uh, you know, I kind of missed. I, I knew it was going to be, it's always going to be long shots. And, and I watched it with some friends. And they asked me, they said, how come there's so many long shots that are winning? And I just had to tell them that, you know, with, the championship races, there's so many good horses in those races that, you know, not every horse can be five to two. So, I mean, you may have horses, and you know this, John, from watching races for years, these championship races, I mean, you might have horses that are grade one winners that are double-digit odds that actually have a chance. So, you know, the odds get a little bit skewed. It's not quite like a normal day at the races. But, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't like, I didn't like uh, Lady Aurelia in the, in the turf sprint, I thought she's maybe over a little bit overrated. Yeah, a little bit over bat, over over bat. You know, too short of a price. Three year old filly going against older horses. Um, not quite sure about the competition she's been facing. Now, uh, having said that, I didn't I didn't have the winner. Um, but uh, you know, at, at the handicapping seminar that I did on 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 Thursday, I talked about bar of gold. Um, quite a bit. Oh, we were talking about we were talking about, about unique Bella. <laughs> yeah, I actually I picked her third uh, on our website, and I, and and I basically gave an analysis at the thing that I really like horses that uh, are a big price that are coming out of races that are two turn races, shortening enough to go seven. And, and she's a horse that has some quality. I mean, she just her, one of her best races of her life was the Test at Saratoga, which was the Grade One race. Uh, when she was three, and she just barely got beat as a New York bred in there to uh, cavorting, I believe. Uh, beat her just a couple of years ago. It doesn't even show up on her form. But, um, you know, she she was coming out of a, a race on a sloppy track at Keeneland at a place that she didn't really, she didn't, she didn't like it at all. I was there that day. And uh, I don't know. I just thought at a price, she might be, she might be worth a little bit of a play. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't play her the right way to really, take a big advantage of it but uh mainly because i didn't have the runner up in there but you know she was 60 70 to one that was a monstrous upset and, and she's a she's a new york bred for a guy that bred her and he races up here and um you and i it's funny you and i it's funny what what you get with information at the track and and what you see and what you can how you can capitalize on it you talked about just just you and i just a second ago about wahida and uh, she's a she's a horse that I totally discounted altogether because and for one main reason I was at Keeneland and she was going to run in the Queen Elizabeth and she scratched 
because right. she had a little bit of a setback. And then I was like, oh, okay. So, uh, but she stayed there and she was going to train there. So when I was sticking around Keeneland, I'd go out to the track in the mornings and watch the horses train. And uh, a friend of mine, Leanne Crossley, who I used to work with at Thurber Time. Sure. Yeah, great. Does, does some work at Keeneland. And she and I were kicking around. And a niece, uh, Mont Pleasure, who also is working there at Keeneland, former intern of ours, she they were like, we're going to go watch Wahida. We're going to go see her at the quarantine bar. We're going to go watch her train. You want to go? I was like, oh, sure. You know, I'd love to. I know she's going to run in the, in the Philly and Mare turf and go check her out. And we went and watched her train. And, I, you know, they have the European horses train in a little different style than we do here in the U.S. And, you know, they brought her out. She made the walk over. She kind of jogged around the track like once. Very light jog once around. And then they brought her back to the barn. And I was like, Oh, well, that was interesting. She just kind of jogged. You know, she didn't really do a whole lot. Then I was there the next day, and she did the same thing. And I was like, what is, what's going on with this horse? Like, are they going to train? Are they ever going to train? You know, like, just, like, be, like, the equivalent of, like, you know, me as a competitive maybe 5K, 10K runner just going for, like, a one-mile sort of half jog, half walk. And I was like, there's no way this horse is going to have any chance in the breeders. <laughs> so it goes to show you that, you know, <laughs> you you got to do it every day, I guess. Maybe I, I I only I based my opinion on just a couple days of what I saw, and I was like, what I, all I saw was just some light training that she was doing. And I know that uh, I know they breeze her a few times there at Keeneland afterwards, so they you know they tighten the screws up a little bit more on her. And um, <laughs> obviously, she she went on to win that race. So she did well. Uh, Tom, yeah. looks like we got about three and a half minutes left, so I want to get your read on the Breeders' yep. Cup Classic. Uh, yep. You know, pretty much uh, every, every everybody's you know said it uh, prior to the race. If Arrogate's on his game, you know, this is his race to go out on the high note and. And then other people are saying, I just think he doesn't like Del Mar. And uh, people were also looking at the, the fantastic group of fresh and red-hot competition from Collected to West Coast. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. need I say anything more than Gunrunner? Was that an awesome performance or what? It was, yeah. I mean, it was. he was lights out in there and uh, very deserving winner. Uh, I think well-managed campaign, perfect, perfect campaign for him. As, as I heard Jay say, you know, he ran Oakland, Churchill, Saratoga, Del Mar, grade, graded stakes at all those places. And, and just, you know, he won the horse, the race for horse of the year. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, it's too bad that you have to, everybody seems to be making excuses for Arrogate that he didn't like the track and da, 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 da. I mean, he's a world-class horse that shouldn't, shouldn't really need to make an excuse like that. And I think the thing that pe- a lot of people forget is that he ran some phenomenal races and, they may look easy, uh, and I've talked to jockeys about this, and I've talked to John Velasquez a lot about it when horses win by a big margin, and he's like, it looks easy, but it's not easy. You know, like, those horses are really running, and it takes a really superior horse to just maintain that level of excellence for an extended period of time, and, he, and he's, he's been doing it now for a really long time, and, and to say that he didn't really like the track is, is kind of unfair because if Bob Baffert doesn't run collected in the Pacific Classic, you know, Arrogate wins the Pacific Classic by daylight, and everybody says he's he's back, you know, and he's, right, he's whatever. Right. And I know that that didn't happen, but um, you know, it, it's it seems unfair to the to the horse, and it seems unfair to the track to sort of blame it on it. He did win out there the race before he 
he set the track record in the Traverse. So it's not like uh, it's not like he totally hated it. All right. Well, listen, uh, Tom Law, this is horse racing. Time for a little shameless self-promotion. I got about a minute left. Uh, you're going to have a Christmas present for our, our, our fans, I understand, that uh, we can hang on our wall. Absolutely. We produce the uh, Thoroughbred Racing Calendar, uh, which is an annual production that we do uh, um, just in time for the holidays. And, and we're taking pre-orders right now. The calendar is actually done. We uh, we just sent it to the printer today. If you go on thisishorseracing.com, you can find the button on the right-hand side for the 2018 racing calendar. Got beautiful pictures in there. You mentioned Barbara Livingston. We got a lot of her photos in there. Uh, we got Gunrunner. We got all the all the right horses in there, and uh, it's cheap too. It's only 24 bucks, so um, you can't beat it. It's a great gift for for your friends and family and your racing fans and. Um, it's perfect, so you should order it. All right, I will, Tom. I I I did cash one bet, and I think it paid twenty four forty. So I got just enough to get my calendar. Well, listen, All Tom right. Law from This Is Horse Racing. Thank you so much for being on with us. Greatly appreciate it. Also, want to give a shout out uh, to uh, Jay Privman for taking the time to be with us and describing his experiences at the Breeders' Cup. And I want to thank Matt Widener, our producer, for keeping me on track. I want to thank you for listening. Tell your friends it's going to be on podcasting if they miss the show. For Winning Ponies, I'm John Engelhart. When you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.